Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. John chapter 1 from verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet i baptized with water john replied but among you stands one you do not know he is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals i am not worthy to untie this all happened at bethany on the other side of the jordan where john was baptizing the next day john saw jesus coming towards him and said look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man is coming after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have sinned and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. No, thank you for that. Good morning, everyone. We like to say good morning in this church, or too much, eh? Feel free not to answer when it comes to me. Well, it's nice to see you again, and for those who are coming for the first time, can I just say welcome again, and we're so happy to have you. And for those who are coming for the second time, you know, really counted an honor that you'd you'd come and check us out again. Um, We're going through, if you haven't known, we're going through the book of John, we're going from beginning to end in a 19-part, no, we're going to begin, from beginning to end in an 18-part series. It's 19, all right. Dami, Dami has been following. And the reason for doing that is um, we believe that as a church, we belong to the church. Now, Jesus Christ, the most influential human being that has ever lived, whether you are a Christian or not, founded an institutional movement. is called the church. Now, we are a church that belongs to that church. 
And if we're just starting off, it makes sense to know a lot about the person who founded this thing that we all belong to. Now, there's no better place to find Jesus than in one of the four books that were written about his life, his ministry, and what he came to do. Now, John, the apostle that actually walked with Jesus, wrote this book, the last of, of four, and he wrote it for one purpose we can find it in the 31st chapter, uh, verse of the 20th chapter of this. And he says, he wrote this so, the, he wrote the things that he put in this book, he could have written so many other things, but he wrote it here so that we can know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if we believe on him, we will live. And that's why we've called it, very cleverly, I think, believe and live. Okay, I didn't, I said it's clever, it's dummy that actually came up with it. But if it's good, Thank me for approving it. If it's terrible, speak to Daniel. All right? So we're looking at that, and we also found this. If we, the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about ourselves. And that brings me to what we really want to talk about today. As Lagosians, I really feel there are three big issues that we tackle. One is marriage and relationships. The second is um, how we deal with our work, workaholism, and all the things that come out there. But the third is who we are, our identity. You know, it's devastating when people treat us like we don't matter. And it's exhilarating when people honor us and appreciate us or love us. So this question of who really am I is not a very simple one. So, for instance, you may be saying, do I even believe what I say about myself? Am I saying too little or too much about myself? How often do I change who I think I am? Who gets the right to define me? All these things are bound up. And you, you think in the last three years, whether it's Western world or here, how things like our sexuality, uh, race, ethnicity, or our vocation, these things come to the fore. They're all bound up in our identity. But how to think through it is severely lacking. Let me quote in an interview that I'll quote from again. One of our uh, very, very good musicians, his name is Brymore, in an interview with Astrid Magazine, he says, we live in an era where a lot of people don't have a connection with who they really are. People don't have any identity whatsoever. They just live their lives day in, day out. But if you have uh, day in, day out without an identity. Basically, Brymore is saying we have an identity crisis. And you know what? I agree with him. I think we do. Now, but the question of identity, if we want to say, who am I really, you should first ask, what is even this identity thing? What is this identity thing? Who, how do we think of identity before we come to saying, who really am I? Well, you can think of identity in two ways. One is self-worth and self-core. By that, I mean how, uh, what makes me valuable and what makes me distinct, right? What makes me... Why do I feel I'm worth something? The other one is, how do I, what, what makes me different from any other person that is here? So, for instance, the self-core, we know that biologically we all have individual, you know, our fingerprints are unique to us, right? That makes us unique. So, we think, if I'm thinking of how valuable I am, what makes me, what makes me worthy? And then what makes me distinct? How do we answer this question that we have and face today? Well, in the text that we read, John the Baptist actually faces that dilemma. Now, we followed the story from last week where we started at the beginning. Remember, the beginning is the prologue, John 1, 1 to 18. It's basically introducing the whole book to us. It, it puts in very, very, uh, it, it concatenates 
themes that will run through the whole of the book. Now we're actually getting through the history of Jesus. But what happens is John doesn't actually do what Luke does or Matthew does. He doesn't give us any Christmas narrative or anything about the beginning of Jesus. He goes straight into the ministry of Jesus. Now this time, John the Baptist is actually having his own ministry. He's gaining popularity. Jesus is now going to collide. His own ministry is going to collide with him. And John the Evangelist, the Apostle, needs to distinguish for us between the ministry of Jesus and ministry of John. That really takes over the first three chapters. So, but in this particular, the very beginning of this, the issue of identity comes. Look at verse 19. Now, John's testimony when Jewish leaders in Jerusalem uh, um, sent the priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Verse 21, they asked him, then who are you? Verse 22, finally they said, who are you? Verse 25 again. Why then do you baptize if you are not this person? Who really is John? Now what John then does in this um, ancient text, I think, has real contemporary relevance for us. I think the Bible answers this question about the identity in a way that neither our culture or yourself can actually answer. And so I want us to run through what the Bible says about identity in answering these three questions. We're looking at the topic, a new identity, and we can think about it in three. One is who we are not, second is who is Christ, and the third is who we are. Who we are not, who is Christ, and who we are. Oh my dear, I didn't start my clock. That means you guys are in for an eternal service. All right, no, actually I did. All right, uh uh-huh. So let's get into the first one, um, the who we are not. Now look at verse 19 again. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. Verse 22. Give us an answer to take back. uh, Sorry, not verse 22. Verse 20. Yeah, verse 22. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Now who are those who sent? Who are those who wanted to know about who John was? These were the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of Palestine, old Palestine as you know it, or where the Jews actually lived. And so you had these Jewish leaders. Now, the Jewish leaders were not just the political leaders, the sub-political leaders under the Roman Empire, but they were also those who set the mood of the culture. So they were basically like, think about it, they were like the guys in Abuja, the business captains, the guys in entertainment and the guys in media all bound up together. That's who these guys were. So they were the ones who actually set the cultural mood of the day. Now, don't forget, Israel, like every other nation at that time, you couldn't separate religion from the policy or, or the politics and how the culture was. It was really infused in that. And so at this time, they're thinking, we're on the Roman Empire, on the Roman Empire. After the last book of the Old Testament has been written, you have these 400 years where God doesn't speak. And they're thinking someone is going to come, a legend of this Messiah or some kind of military ruler is going to come to deliver them. There's also this issue of that prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18. God promised Moses that they will raise up another prophet like unto him. And they also know this thing at the end of Malachi that Elijah is going to return again. So they're trying to figure out how and who John is practicing and doing funny things with all this baptism. We really need to know who he is. So they ask the question, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Are you that prophet? 
In other words, they are trying to identify John with the cultural eschatological, that is, the end things that they're thinking about. He's trying, they're trying to ask and think of John through that lens. And they're asking John, interpret, interpret yourself through this cultural lens. And so it is with us today, with identity. We have these different kinds of cultural lenses that we actually think of ourselves through. Now, remember, I always say that Lagos is a very unique city in that we have the mix of the traditional and the Western, the Western urban and the traditional, they come together. And so we start to think of ourselves in various kinds of cultural lenses. So, for instance, if it's the familial, family one, which is a very traditional one, we think, who are you? And you say, well, I am a mother. That is my core identity. Or I am a wife. Or by maybe your surname, I am an Otedola, that means I'm someone. Or you think of maybe ethnically, another traditional one, and you say, you know, we Igbos, we never ever fill in the blank. Or those Hausas, they're always fill in the blank. I'm not in offensive mode today, all right? So that's one way. If you think about the modern ways, we think maybe vocationally. You pride yourself, you say, I am a hard worker, or I am a go-getter and achiever, or I am, finally, I've now become a business owner. Again, you identify yourself that way. Intellectually, you can say, I have an MSc, or, that's fine, you can have an MSc, but I studied at this university. Ooh. Or what about the best one? Material identity. I live in Ikoi. Oof. Right? Or Banana Island. Ah. Oh. Or what, what do you drive? I drive a G, a G, or G wagon. Now come on, we got these old archaic people in this place, G class. You know, or talk about where you travel to. All these things we use to identify ourselves. Or popularity. I have this number of followers on my Twitter account, or I have X number of friends on my Facebook account. Some of the friends, if you don't even know, honestly, last time I checked my. Sometimes you see these people like. How does this person like this? Only my friends can like it. Who are you? You know, sometimes you want to say, what is that? Yeah, that's a... But that's how we see ourselves. Now, the question is this. If you start to take those cultural lenses, we react in two ways. It's one of displaying or withdrawing. Let me explain. Because if you fail or succeed at what the culture says is actually how you need to identify yourself, it creates people that are proud. So, for instance, if you excel in this cultural category, any of these cultural categories, you start to parade yourself, look down on others. You display because you've become an arrogant oaf. Or if you fail in the category, cultural category, you feel rejected in your worth and your distinction, and that leads to self-pity, and that leads to an ever-ending... You keep complaining and you keep withdrawing. In other words, both of them are full of pride because both of them center around you. One of them actually is self-pity, but yet you want to complain about everything. You don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to be anywhere because you don't want people to say, you know, it's that kind of thing. You go for that class reunion, you know, 10 years after, you know that you came, your car is not very good. You see all your friends' cars, so you now park all the way down, you know, and say, ah, well, I'm just taking this stroll, right? You withdraw. Or either you actually get so arrogant that you feel you always have to tell people how good you are doing. Now, John 
the Baptist, knew that to answer the question of who he is, who he is you first have to answer the question of who you are not. You will never understand who you are if you don't know who you are not. Look at verse 20 and verse 21. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Verse 21. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. Three times, John says, I am not this. I am not this. I am not this. You know, sometimes, if, for instance, we know someone that we love who is failing at one of the cultural categories, in trying to boost the person's self-esteem or the self-person or take the person out of self-loathing, what do we do? We end up saying too much. We even do that with our children, isn't it? So you're just the most beautiful girl in the world. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that, right? So let me look. There are about three billion children in the world. Your child is not the most beautiful girl in the world. You know, come on. I know we do that to our wives as well. Look, I'm saying this. My wife, actually, this is why your wife is not the most beautiful woman in the world. Let me just tell you that. Because my wife is the most beautiful. So this obviously doesn't apply to me. Now, but notice, John says, I am not the Messiah. Look, guys, we are not. We may, God may use us to help a lot of people out, but you have to be very careful. You are not the Messiah. You are not a God, even though some people try to tell us that now. So we end up saying too much sometimes in trying to cause correct. But sometimes as well, we end up saying too little. Because we don't want people to have to be arrogant and all that. But where, what that then happens is, if you're the kind of person that has actually succeeded, you look at somebody else that hasn't succeeded, you say, well, you know, the problem is that you're not a hard worker. That's why. You don't, you don't work hard. Just need to work hard. Stop giving excuses. We disregard people because of what they lack. Again, because we're interpreting things through the cultural lens. If we're going to sort out the issue of identity, we need to make a clear distinction between what identity is and what image is. You know, um, late, no, not late 90s, early 1990, I, I, Andrew Agassi, do you, okay, I was about to who remembers this advert? But Andrew Agassi was advertising for Canon, Canon, uh, the, the camera, and, you know, they were showing him, he was the rebel then. You know, Pitampras, if you know that name, Pitampras was well caught, he didn't talk too much, his short hair, everything, you know, did everything right. And Jagasi was a rebel. Long hair, you know, earring, bad boy. And they do all those things, they take shoots of him. And at the end, he comes up with this immortal phrase. Image is everything. What's the difference between identity and image? Well, a writer on the Gospel Coalition called Sammy Rose recently wrote this. He says, identity is something given, fundamental to the way you see yourself. Image, on the other hand, is something you create, fundamental about the way you want others to see you. You see, the sin of our age is that rather than live from our identity, we live for our image. That's what we have with our new social media age and Facebook, isn't it? How many times do we post pictures on Facebook without makeup? Women say it. We don't. Right? You also have people taking pictures, right? This one, I I don't get this one. You go to a party, right? I understand. You want to drive a G-Wagon, but you don't have a G-Wagon now. Why do you go to someone else's G-Wagon and then take a picture in front of the G-Wagon? Hello? 
But the problem there is that there is an image that this person wants to attain, and so we project this image out to say, this is who I really am. You know, this can even be much more, it can even become much more sadder when you even think of people's marriages where they're really, really wrestling through it, and yet all the pictures that are there are of people that are doing very well. We live from our image, rather, we live for our image rather than living from our identity. You know, one of the most, the most interesting ones I loved was about cultural identity was this new one. So I said all the vocation and all that. The one I didn't mention in Lagos is, how many of us have heard of what you call IGGB? I just, yeah, yeah, I just got back. You know heard of that one? Ah, wait, I just got back, right? And you see that all parading around. And because you just got back, you know, you have to speak. Even though you just got back like three months ago, you have to speak in a very kind of whatever accent, you know, all that. You start saying, man, this place is so hot. Ah, you know? Or the best one. Best one, best one. You traveled out for five, six months. So obviously you changed your location from Lagos now to, you know, London. And then you've got back two years after, and your location is still in London, right? Again, the truth is that what we are trying to do is to project a certain way the culture has deemed to be the right way to think about ourselves, and we are saying, this is who I really am. All these are unstable, whether it is how, what I tell myself or what the culture tells me. What the Bible says is that these are unstable and unstable basis for defining our distinction or obtaining our self-worth. You see, the thing is that we cannot trust the culture. Why? Very simple. The culture changes. Today, in Calabar, it's a blessing to have twins. A hundred years ago, it was a curse to actually have twins. Our culture changes today. It's here today. It's there tomorrow. Okay, if I want to be more comical, ladies, where are clogs and platforms? Huh? They're, still, they're kind of around. You know, they come, then they go, then they come back again, you know. Or where are bell bottoms? At least I've seen two generations of bell bottoms. They kind of come and go. You can't depend on what the culture says. PDP was in yesterday. Now APC is all sexy, but now people are thinking it's a third party. You cannot what? Depend on the culture. Why? Because it always changes. And you cannot also even depend on yourself. Because apart from the fact that we are normally incoherent, today we want this, tomorrow we want the other one, or we say we want this, but actually we also want this other one, and the two cannot match themselves. They can't coexist. But more important than not, we always know that we need somebody else's affirmation. This is very funny, because on the one hand we're saying the culture actually, we shouldn't listen to the culture, but then we are saying, because most times we correct that and say, just listen to yourself, follow your heart. But the problem with that is that we always want someone else's affirmation. I'll give you an example. Imagine you're someone who is a budding footballer, right? You have football skills. You're thinking you may actually go to Europe, and your mom and your dad tell you how great you are. You're the best footballer in the world, blah, 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 blah. Imagine all your, 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 both your parents, all your uncles, all your cousins, all your siblings tell you how fantastic. Maybe that helps you a little bit. One day, a guy decides to come and scout in Nigeria. His name is Jose Mourinho. He happens to be where you are actually playing. And Jose Mourinho comes and says, I think you are actually very skillful. Now, tell me, 
no matter how many times you've positively confessed to yourself how great a footballer you are, comparing that with just that one affirmation that Jose Mourinho said, which one actually ranks greater? Mourinho's. Because no matter how much we tell ourselves, it's, it's what I tell myself when I'm following my heart, we know we still need someone else's affirmation. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, puts it this way. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Paul is saying, whatever I think about myself or whatever the culture thinks about me, that doesn't really matter. You see, rejecting the culture's view does not necessarily mean that you should accept your own view. We need a more stable basis for defining ourselves. Now, Paul then goes on to say, it is the Lord who judges me. John the Baptist, on the other hand, says this about himself in verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Say Isaiah the prophet. Now, John is harking back to Isaiah chapter 40, where Isaiah is prophesying about the Lord coming. He's talking about Israel's God. Yahweh is coming to save, or Yahweh is coming to comfort his people. And there is going to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness that prepares the way for Yahweh to come. But what basically John the Baptist is doing is he's going back to God's word. And can I tell you, if you need a stable basis for understanding who you are, you cannot look on the outside here or there. You need to look to God and what God has disclosed in his word. And that leads me to my second point. So if we are looking at who we are not and how we shouldn't judge ourselves, then the second point is who is Christ. Remember, John defines himself by pointing elsewhere. He points to the Bible. Because we have to be very careful. Now, the same Brymore that I quoted that says that we have an identity crisis says this about our identity. He says, identity means how you are perceived. How people see you when they look at you. So what people think of you is your identity. Basically, this is what identity is. The person you are is how you live your life day in, day out, and how you live your life. In other words, Brahma is giving us, as many of us would say, or live our lives, it's basically saying identity is something that we work for. It's a performance-based thing. This isn't trying to say, this isn't the one about the image and trying to live out what you want to be. This is trying to say, I want to be this person and I'm going to do everything to actually earn this particular status. I've not reached there, but I need to work myself to be there. That's why sometimes the people who have come from very poor backgrounds and have worked to the top of the ladder can be the most brutal people. Because you've worked so hard, you finally earned it, and when you see somebody that is not working hard and thinks he needs a bit of a leg up, you disdain that person. But you see, the Bible would not agree with our culture, what Brymer says, or most of what we would be thinking about. The Bible says that identity is not something that is earned. Identity is something that is given or received. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. This is the most stable form of the most, where you can get the greatest worth for a human identity. It says we are created in the image of God. We don't work for it. That is how we are created. Every human being. 
whether we're actually suffering mentally or we're actually together in our right mind, whether we're actually born with a disability or we are born whole, whether we're actually born maybe as, uh, with Down syndrome or not. Every single human being is created in the image of God. And our distinction, this is where we get our worth, but our distinction, remember again, is that we are created in the image of God. If God is holy, totally perfect and removed, then also we created in his image, we are different from all of his creations. That is why only the human being, did he say, is created in his image. That makes us distinct from all the other animals. But there's more to it. In verse 23, remember, John says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight wave the way for the Lord. And later in verse 29, he says, he identifies that Lord with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I've said a lot about the deity of Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ discloses who God is because he himself is God, as we see in the first 18 verses. Now, John assumes this because he's saying the Lord is coming, but guess what? The Lord is that man over there. In other words, if we are going to point to God to identify ourselves, we need to know who God is. And John is saying, well, if you want to think about God, look at Jesus. And then, if we're saying, look at Jesus, we're saying, who is Jesus, really? Remember, that's the purpose of this book. You know what I'm saying? What we believe about Jesus is extremely important. Far too many times we speak about God in generic terms, or even when we speak about Jesus, we don't speak about Jesus in the distinct way the Bible presents him to be. John is very clear about being distinct of who Jesus is. Just look at verse, uh, verse 34. He identifies Jesus as God's chosen one. In verse 41, he identifies Jesus as the Messiah. In verse 45, he identifies Jesus as the one Moses and the prophets uh, wrote about. In verse 49, the Son of God. In verse 49, again, the King of Israel. In verse 51, the Son of Man. John is all about identifying Jesus for who he is. In other words, John is also saying one thing, as he says later in his epistles, in 1 John 4, 2-3, he's saying one thing. The doctrine of who Jesus is matters. Can I stop and say, that is one word we don't really like again? Because doctrine divides. So we, in some way, in an era, we're like, you know what, all I want is practical Christianity. All this talk about doctrine is just theory. It's theoretical stuff. I can know from Genesis to Revelation, but if my life is ugly, you know, what does that matter? You're correct. The option doesn't mean that you should throw away doctrine. The option is that your life should, what, reflect your doctrine. As Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and doctrine. That's the way you're going to save yourself and those who hear you. Doctrine matters. And let me tell you, you may say, well, I don't believe in doctrine. I just believe in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a doctrine. Just a very bad one. We don't have an option to, as to whether or not we believe something about Jesus Christ. What we do have the option is, do we believe the right thing or the wrong thing? And John is saying what you believe about Jesus Christ matters. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. The spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You know, spirit and teaching. There. They are not enemies. Please don't separate them. Now that's an aside. All right? Take that for free. But John 
also tells us two other identities of Jesus Christ, which I want to use in our third point. He identifies Jesus in a particular reading here in verse 29 and verse 34. Jesus is the Lamb of God in verse 29, and Jesus is also the baptizer in the Spirit. One provides the objective reality, the other one provides an, a subjective reality. With these two, I want to tell us certain things about who we are today by knowing these things about Jesus Christ. They provide a more satisfying, stable, self-worthy identity that you can actually take to the bank. So, uh, third point. Now, we said that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Spirit. So, one of them represents what God has done for us, and the other one is what God has done in us. So, let's look at verse 29. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you remember in John chapter 1, verse 12 to, to 13, it says, those who receive Christ are those who are the sons of God, or the children of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those believing in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. In other words, this issue about the Lamb of God somehow is connected with how we can get this new identity. Because you can be a human being, and that gives you infinite worth, but that gives you worth that will last you this part of eternity. What we need is an identity that takes us not just in this world, but the world that is to come. And that is that we are born again or born as the children of God. But it says it's connected to this Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you remember, we have been talking about other kinds of ways we look at our identity. Now, sin, what the Bible calls sin, living for ourselves and not going after God, tries to want to define us. Sin wants to give us all these different kinds of identities. By defining us, whether it's pride in wealth, authenticity in our sexuality, sin wants to define us, and guess what it does after that? It condemns us. Because if you live for yourself and you succeed, you are arrogant, and people rightly look at you as a despicable person. If you do not actually succeed at it, you already feel condemned. There is no way out of using sin to actually define yourself. So we are already condemned by our culture, by ourselves. And guess what? Because we decided to run our own way, we do have condemnation with God. It's the life we choose. But this identity that is bound up with the Lamb of God neither makes us arrogant if we meet up, nor does it make us dejected or deflated if we don't meet up. In fact, it gives us what we can call humble confidence. We are not arrogant, we are confident, but we are not dejected, we are humble. Why? Because it says it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Later, we see what, how the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb himself becomes a sacrifice for us. The condemnation that sin brings, God instead draws that wrath or that condemnation upon this particular Lamb. 
And so in Jesus Christ, we who are unworthy are then seen to be of a lot of, we are seen to have so much value. We remain unworthy, but we are not worthless. So he calls us to look to the Lamb. And if there's anyone like that today here, I will say that. If this identity is crushing you, actually this identity you think is actually lifting you up beyond measure, and now you've alienated yourself from so many people, look to the Lamb. You don't feel loved by your spouse? Look to the Lamb. You don't feel treasured by your boss? Look to the Lamb. You don't feel like you've achieved in life? Look to the Lamb. You don't feel like you're beautiful? You don't feel like you're a good parent? Look to the Lamb that takes away your sin. As Jack Miller often said, because of the Lamb of God, cheer up, you're worse than who you think you are. But you're more loved than you ever dared imagine. And so this is what God has done for us, the objective reality. We become sons of God. It's a status that is given to us. A status that helps us with anything we face in this world. Now, based on this reality, take it down, based on this reality, even when you are rejected, you know that Christ has ultimately been rejected in your place. In other words, that contract that you want to go and ask for, you know the worst thing they can say? No. And then you go and bid for the next contract. Why? Because that person's no and rejection is not ultimately what defines you. You have a new identity that stabilizes you. Well, that girl that you've actually been looking at, you you like to marry her, you know, she's nice and everything. Guess what? She may say, no. And you may cry a little bit. Men too do cry. <laughs> but after you cry, you wipe your tears. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, there's coming a time when he says that he shall wipe away every tear. It's an identity that will take you into the world that is to come. But he's also the baptizer in the spirit. I don't know how many of you are fans of Sally Field. She's one of the greatest actresses of all time, in my opinion. If you don't know her, she probably... Well, the young, Lincoln. You've seen Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln's wife. Fantastic woman. Now, Sally Field first won, won her first Oscar in 1979. But after she got her second Oscar, she said something in the, in, in the speech in 1985. It's very, very fascinating. She said, I haven't had an orthodox career. And I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time, that's the first time she got an Oscar, she said, I didn't feel it. But this time, I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. It is one thing to have a status conferred upon you. It's another thing to feel the status. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb of God. But I dare say that even some of us who have been Christians here sometimes, you don't always feel like you are loved. I know sometimes the doctrine types around us say, who cares about feeling? It's all about truth, really. Really. Well, I know some of you that may be seated down here. When everything comes to worship, you're all very, very straight. When it comes to politics, bang! Or when it comes to sports, you throw, you know. Why? Because... As human beings, we not only think, we do what? We feel. We have emotions. Some people say experience doesn't matter. Well, they are now saying that we shouldn't be human beings. Experience matters a lot. It's just not the only thing. 
my wife and I were joined together in holy matrimony. They said the word. We came together. At that point, I didn't feel different from the point before. But over a period of time, I want to not just feel, I don't want not just the love that she has confessed, but I want to also feel that love. And this is what Christianity offers us, isn't it? Yes, we are sons, as Galatians 4 tells us. But it says, because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, not just so that we can say that we are sons, but so that we can cry, Abba, Father. And so when we see in verse 32 to verse 34, that God pours out his spirit on Jesus, affirming Christ as his chosen one, in verse 34, in the same way, if we go later into the book of John in chapter 7, verse 38 to 39, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. In other words, there is no such thing as a Christian who has not been baptized in the Spirit. You are either not a Christian or you are a Christian who has been baptized in the Spirit. There are no options. The way God identifies us is, identified us within, is by putting his spirit in us. The Lamb of God, the love that God has demonstrated through the Lamb, is made experiential by pouring out his spirit in us. See how Paul says it in Romans 5. He said, 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But verse 5 says, God's love that he demonstrated to us, when Christ died for us, it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to feel our salvation. David says, restore unto me, not just my salvation, but what? The joy, joy of our salvation. And so you may be here and you're a Christian. And you say, Femi, I don't feel it. I don't always feel it. Well, I've not felt it in a long time. I feel very dry. Well, first I want you to consider maybe that your fundamental reality, you are a Christian, but your spouse means more to you. Your marriage means more to you. Or you're a Christian and your organization, whether you're leading it or your job, matters more to you. That's one reason you've made an idol out of it. But second, how do you get the penny to drop? Well, God is so gracious. He doesn't say you should climb up to the mountain or go and do different things. God gives us ordinary means of grace. Practice walking in the Spirit. How do you do that? Allow the Word of God to richly dwell in you. But I'm so busy. Well, I know you're busy, but you still find time to eat. Right? A man shall not live by bread alone. If you think about physical life, then think about eternal life. You have to find time. How do I do it? You have to find time. How do I do it? You have to find time. Because the Spirit always works in accordance with the Word. It may be five, ten minutes in the morning and ten minutes in the evening. Find time. Second, pray in the Spirit. When you pray according to what the Word of God has said and you meditate upon that, that is what it means to pray in the spirit, if it's in tongues, well, that means that whatever the interpretation of that tongue must be, it must have been in accordance with the word of God. But prayer that is genuinely to God and brings and locks down the gospel in you is always prayer in the spirit. I can't promise you that it's going to happen today or tomorrow or next tomorrow. But I can promise you this. If you keep consistently at it, you will feel the love of God. 
Guys, this is an identity that I want us, if you're not a believer here, to actually embrace. Let's bow our heads. This is an identity that is stable, an identity that works itself into eternity, but also has relevance for us here now. Why keep chasing after shadows? Why keep chasing after their approval and her approval and his approval? When you can get the approval of God freely in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And if you are looking for the strength to work out this identity in your life, if really you are looking for an improvement in your job, if you are looking for an increase in your salary, you don't know how you are going to make it the next month, well, first find the stableness, the stability in, the, in, in, in God's identity because of the spirit that has been poured out to you and see whether or not God will not come out for you. Father, we just thank you for your word that comes to us. We thank you for your word that is able to lift us up. We pray that for those who are considering, oh God, offering their lives to you today, Father, do not cast them away. But according to your promise, bring them close to you. And for those of us that are looking for renewal in the spirit, Father, I pray that you will fill us with your spirit to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.